what's happening in the canine industry. For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Glenn. Yes, Pat. I can't help but notice you have a new puppy out there. I do have a new puppy. Have you thought about getting some expert advice on how to raise that puppy? Ouch. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it just happens that we do have an expert as part of our sponsor group. Really? Yeah, Dan Croft Canine. Do they run puppy class? They run amazing puppy classes. What what on earth do they do there? They've got whole ranges of foundation for puppy school. So they're running a complete socialization package and they're doing a whole range of different levels for puppies. And that's what they really wanted to emphasize is that they are experts in puppy raising and training. Where are they experts in puppy raising and training? In Toronto, Canada. Whoa. So if you were in Toronto, Canada, and you had a friend, a client, a relative, just anybody who was getting a puppy Mm -hmm. and you wanted to set that puppy up for success, you could probably send them to Dancroft, can I? If I was over in Toronto, Canada with my new little Rottweiler puppy, Mando, I would go over, and I'm, I swear this, I would go over and I would do the socialization program with them. Great I idea. love what they're doing. Have you seen their setup online? Oh, amazing. Fantastic. Amazing. They had a tire with a medicine ball with a pit bull doing a drop stay on top of it. My goodness. Amongst a dozen other dogs that were doing all similar things, like on BOSU balls and all sorts of things. My goodness. It was great. Fantastic. Unbelievable. Yeah. Hey, speaking of your puppy, mm-hmm. what's going on with his nutrition? Couldn't go past canine tuticles. Supplemented up. Supplemented up to the help. My goodness. Yeah. So he should have arms like Arnold Schwarzenegger by the time we're finished. Where did you get those canineceuticals from? From Narelle Cook. Narelle Cook. How, yeah. do you, how do you know her? <laughs> <laughs> Funny that she's got the same last name as me. Yeah. The supplier is very local. Absolutely. Canineceuticals, but ha- legit, it's probably the best supplements available. Best for supplements dog. available, human grade, gone through the absolute rigorous testing program. I mean, Narelle's got stat sheets on it and everything like that on demand, so... People want to know what they're actually putting into their dog's body supplement-wise. They can reach out to her and she's got all the facts and figures before she even put it down as a physical product. She spent years and years researching it before it was actually come to market. So great stuff. Yes, the puppy's definitely on it. All our dogs are on it. And there's a shit ton of people around Australia and New Zealand who are taking caninecuticals and the feedback is astronomical. Amazing. Yep. Do you plan on taking Mando on your motorbike? If I did, you know who I'd have to go to, don't you? You'd have to get one of those Rowdy Hound boxes. Rowdy Hound dog kennels. Yeah. From Horny George. George Kittridge himself. You'd have to get one of those Rowdy Hound dog kennels to go on the back of your motorbike. How good is his social media? It's the best. Yeah. I love watching the dogs cruise around motorbikes. I think it's one of the coolest things ever. They've got their little doggles on. Yeah. You know, like we talk about living the best life. Well, for people who are motorcyclists, they can do both. I'm serious about thinking about getting one, but then I've got to train a – I don't know if having a Rottweiler on the back of a bike is going to be a great <laughs> idea. Your sport but, bike. <laughs> but, well, uh, I think you should do it. Maybe one day when I've got a smaller mid-sized dog, uh, I would get a Rowdy Hound dog kennel and mm. I could travel around so I could not only enjoy the company of my dog, which hundreds of people seem to be doing across the United States of America, and I could motorcycle at the same time. So Amazing. two things that are very dear to my heart, coming together. All right. This ad's going on for a long time. Mm. I need to get out of here and go and train some dogs. Yep. But do you know where I got the equipment that I'm going to use to train those dogs? The goat. 
The goat. The Billy Goat's gruff. Mine's a wiener. <laughs> <laughs> the wiener himself. <laughs> Ironswick Dog Quip. Yep. If you're not buying all your dog training gear from them, yep. I don't know where you're fucking getting it from. Well, if not from Thurman, Ironswick Dog Quip, the Irons a wiener. How the hell does he sell anything being such a grumpy old bastard? He's online now. He's got a website. That's you right. Can, they don't have to deal with him. You correct. can actually buy things <laughs> off the website. You can actually do it now. Yep. IronswickDogQuip.com.au yep. or just .com. Probably one of them. I don't it's know. One of them. It just, we'll put try it, in it out. Yeah, put it, you'll, yeah, you'll click. You'll find a link. You buy some stuff. <laughs> Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host Glenn Cook, and finally. We have a guest in the studio and it's not Bertie, it's somebody else. It's Jazz. Jazz Whiting. Welcome. Hey, everyone. You're AKA back. Sweats. <laughs> I think you're the only person that calls, calls it that. Sweats. Yeah, yeah. I, am. I think I am. <laughs> we started with a name of Sweats, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to maintain that. I think Pat still prefers Jazzy McJazz Pants. Yeah, Jazzy McJazz Pants. That's yeah. my favourite. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Busy, yeah. but good. Lots has happened since the last time you've been on the show. I mean, a lot. Yeah, I tried to look it up the other day because I was telling someone something and then we started talking about podcasts and we got onto a whole topic. And then I mentioned somewhere along the line, this podcast, and they wanted to look it up and then they wanted to look up my episodes. And when I was looking it up, I didn't realize that it was four years ago. And Is I it really? Yeah. No, it, well, you no would, it'd be about three. three. Your first episode, yeah. So it said four years, just that's what it rounded it to. But then I couldn't work out when it actually was. But yeah, well, so you... Your first one would have been four years ago, but then at the ICP conference in 2019, you were on again then. Really? Yeah. Yeah, you've been on yeah. a couple of times because you even sung the opening. The oh, no, you, no, you did the intro. That was on the second one. Yes, that was yeah. on the second one. So we got you to do Lofty's intro. Anyway, yeah. you're back. Yeah, no, it's good. It's and good. you're like a third of your body weight since you were first on the show. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> shaming you, of course, because I know oh, people no. get sensitive about that. I'm just saying obvious transformation. You had hair down to your bum. You've got... <laughs> You know, your hair's changed, you're a third of your body weight, and you've been ripping it up on the BJJ circuit. Thanks, Ed. Oh, I'm proud of you. Like, I'm super, super proud of you. I know there's so many people who have watched your accolades and your achievements on the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu circuit. I know we're going to get into the dog training side of it, but it's just amazing what you've done in a short amount of time. Yeah, I like to uh, dive deep into whatever it is that I do and really make the most of it. So it's sort of what I did with dogs and... I guess what I did with the jujitsu as well. It's we, good. I like it. We did that raising puppy thing for Patreon oh, over a year ago and we were in your backyard just talking shit and had the camera <laughs> set up <laughs> and you were wearing a singlet and with your giant fucking cannons hanging out and yeah. <laughs> the amount of comments I got of like, Pat, you look pathetic and small and Jazz, you look ginormous and jacked. Wait, I got my abs back. I'm yeah. pretty happy. But yeah. speaking of biceps, I tell you what, I sent a photo to there's a company that I'm sort of promoting because I've tried their gear and I really like it. It's workwear stuff. It's green hip workwear. Oh, there's your first plug. Oh, How, How much did they pay you for that? How much did they pay you for that? I should I should I should charge them. Anyway, I sent her a photo because I didn't want to post it, but I had to share it with someone just like to get it out of my system and go, dude, look at this. I can't believe it. My biceps were sticking out so far and it was like a great photo of this shirt and I was like, I don't think I can post this, but yeah. I just got to share it with someone. And she's like, it looks like a snake has swallowed a pig. Like, 
<laughs> yeah, it was bad enough. What when, a description. It was bad enough when people were saying, Pat, you look pathetic and small <laughs> next to Jazz. And then the other day when you pulled off your bite suit and you had like, so you know, normally we wear the like skins under your bite suit and you forgot yours. Yep. Yeah, under your bite suit, you got a fucking six pack under the bite suit. I was like, oh, what the fuck? It's right. It looks even better when I come out of the sauna. So I'll be sure to like, you know, put up a photo of that time because that's the best. <laughs> nah, kidding. I remember you showing me years ago when you went full deep diving into CrossFit and you were showing me a picture of you. He brought it up first. I did not mention CrossFit. He brought it up <laughs> first. That's fine. But, but you went like you went full into the weeds of CrossFit and yep. you were showing me a picture of your back where you were doing this pose and you, you'd had like a Christmas tree ripple of muscle up your back. Yeah, I was doing dips. And, yes, uh, yeah, yes that's tree. the one. It's just amazing the transformation you had compared to my backwards transformation over, <laughs> over COVID where, you know, like I've got a plus-size dad bod now. Yeah, but, I mean, you've always been super fit. It's just that you got injured and were on meds that yeah. um, put on weight and then you yeah, were you always back. super yeah. fit under like you, there. Yeah. You full broke your back, so. And that's the thing, like I said, I wanted my abs back and now it's not it's not necessarily like so superficial like uh, uh, like about having the abs, but for me and my body type, that's a good indicator of where my body fat percentage is at. So when I'm talking about abs, it's actually just a, a bit of a diagnostic to know if I'm at the lower end of the the body fat that I'm aiming for. So I always said that. And then people are like, it's not that they weren't believing me, but they're like, oh yeah, you know, everyone says that, but then no one sticks to it. And I was like, motherfuckers, if I say it, I'm going to do it. Don't test me. But actually it's good. It's good that they test me because then I can just go. Like, I've had visible abs two times in my life. One was on selection after demarcation where you don't eat. I was just the, about to say, yeah. had you eaten in a week? Yeah, or? So I, was, I was already <laughs> super fit. Like I was at like peak fitness because it was during selection. And then in demarcation, I think I'd been like three and a half days without eating. And, yeah. and at the end of that, I was like, oh, well, I've got abs. And then in 2005, I got, it's a long story, it's a bit fucked up, but I got stuck in Afghanistan on this hill for like five days and didn't eat the whole time I was there and was yeah. super sick and had no water and whatever. And when I got back from that, I took off my clothes and I had abs for the first, for the <laughs> second time. And I was like, for me, it's the opposite. When I see abs, I'm like, oh. Oh, something's wrong. <laughs> like, see, what's interesting. I am unwell. <laughs> what's interesting, like, because we both used to get scans with Narel. I'm not sure if you still do, but it's been a little while since I've had one. No, but, I'm too scared um, of what it says. <laughs> but uh, your body fat percentage is lower than mine. Yeah. It's just like we we hold it differently and stuff. But I've got uh, no booty to fucking hide it in. Guijamal. <laughs> That's uh, Portuguese. <laughs> Yeah, our Portuguese listeners know. <laughs> All right, well, that's the abs podcast. So abs and us. You're still training dogs. Yeah, you know, sometimes. Nah, I got puppies and obviously they, they keep me busy, train them every day. Nice so what happened? We, when was it? It was sort of mid-2020 that I was like, hey, we should get some puppies. We should raise some dogs. I feel like- You said it on the last podcast that- my second podcast, sorry, maybe it wasn't the last one, but the second one, you're like, hey, so you're like, you've like you bought your house, you, you're you going to move in on such and such a date, don't give your address out here, blah, blah, blah. And uh, you're like, you know, so like maybe someone could send you a puppy and you could raise it and you can sell it. And that's that's the first time I remember you saying it. But yeah. then later that, that year or the next year or whatever, you were Well, you know, when I, when I was training with Sam, like when we was doing the army, the way that I got good, if I am good, was he would just cycle dogs, like raise, train, sell, raise, train, sell. Yeah. And it like, you know, for the most part within the industry, we get our dog, it's our special dog, you know, like mine is now, right? 
we have that one dog and the experience of raising it. And then it's 10 years before you do that again for yourself. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of where it's cool to end up there. But I think when you're starting out and you're trying to gain experience, it's raise, train, sell, mm. or like acquire, train, sell, acquire, train, sell. Yeah. But you know, you did the same, right? Like it was when you were with ADT, it was the Roddies that you're always talking about that you go, you Roddies get. and Shepherds, yeah. Yeah. You, yeah, so it's you, just rescued. But it was literally rescue before rescue was trendy. Yeah. Just taking wretched dogs off the street that were unloved and uncared for and were biting people and doing that program that you're talking yeah. about is just, I think we had 16 dogs that we were just doing that same sort of thing, race, train and sell. Yeah. And so you did that with Rescue Jazz and hands on dogs and you're in the kennels here. So like a lot of experience, but then it's like, okay, no, but it's time to develop working dogs. Yeah. Different experience. Exactly. I, I don't know if it was a money thing or whether we were discussing it, like it's a good way to make money if it works, but it's a huge risk because you just definitely can't, like yeah. in Australia, you definitely can't count on that as your income. No, it's a massive risk. Like anything could happen. Obviously, sure. You can think about the training. They might not work out. Maybe they're not going to genetically have what it takes, or maybe I'm not going to have the capability to train them or ability, sorry. Or they could just do something silly and break a leg and then you can't sell them into that role. And you can sell them and stuff like, you know, you can still give them that kind of life, but not for the same amount, totally different sort of work, Mm -hmm. but anything's a risk, you know? Can I ask a question on that though? Because I'm curious, like you're saying it's a good way to make money. If you guys ran a spreadsheet on that now and put down the amount of food that you had to buy, your time jazz, like your hourly rates and so forth. Oh, and oh, no, 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 travel no, no. never make money That's on that. That's terrible. Right. If, if you look at it as though I enjoy the process of raising and training dogs and I'm looking at this because I want to do it anyway, mm. like from my point Experience. of view, it's exactly like yeah. we were discussing yeah. before, mate. Like it's probably a, a deeper topic to discuss another time, but Remy's aging out. Yeah. And even for me anyway, he's the longest I've ever kept a dog because I don't – like until I started competing in sports – it's like, what's the point? I don't like, I don't need a fully trained dog. I'm a dog trainer. Mm. I don't need a dog that knows how to do stuff. I need a dog that doesn't know how to do stuff so I can train it how to do stuff. And then I move it, move it on to someone else. So if you enjoy the process of it, it's a great way to make pocket money. But to your point, it's terrible. If you did the hourly yeah. rate and we yeah, sold those a- dogs for good money and we can't say exactly what, but the hourly rate would be in the cents yeah, per I, hour. I, I worked it out based on what the last ones cost. And I was like, oh man, this is absurd. The amount of hours. And I was, I was giving an estimate of like, just say two hours a day, not even close to what we made. Like, I, my, I would say you'd be in the red. Like, if anything. Yeah, like it's it, – what, what do you mean by red? Well, if you're looking at accounting terms, that that's showing a loss. Like, Oh, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. a loss if you're going to count your hours. But like because I obviously spend a lot more than two hours a day working with them. And when I say working with, like going out, hanging out at a park or in the backyard and having chill time is part of the work. Mm. It's mm. not just go out, do a 10-minute intense session and then put them away hot and, and they just stay in the kennels forever. Like there's a lot more to it and stuff. I teach them how to live within society, how to be a pet dog basically, yep. but how to be capable of, wow, I'm just falling into my ISCP like, yeah, talk yeah, right now. Do, yeah, oh, dear. <laughs> but it's like I, I teach them all of that. So that takes majority of the time that I have them and that lasts for the duration that I have them. So when you count all that up, I'm never going to make money if you think about the hours, Mm. but because I enjoy it, it gives me something to do. I'm constantly learning new skills and learning how to teach a being, right? It doesn't matter if it's a dog or if it's a human, I enjoy passing on skills and teaching someone else because I'm then in turn learning how to, learning the skill of teaching, right? But basically if you take away the, the hours that I put into it and just think about the expenses, you know, food, vet stuff, all of those basic fees, 
buying gear, things like that, or putting them in kennels because that's part of the process as well, or putting them in kennels when I go away uh, overseas and things like that. You add all that up, sure, you're going to make a profit, but not if you count your hours. Can I just say on top of this, Jazz, listening to you speak now, you have made such an incredible transformation overall, like the way you talk, the way that you present yourself, the way you teach, like the whole thing, your whole package is just, you've shown so much exponential growth. It's quite amazing. I guess it's a bit of a hobby, exceeding all expectations <laughs> set upon me by others. But, <laughs> but it's true Boom, though. Like, mic drop. It's true really. Right. It's you would that. agree. Like, no, you, I true. mean, you would be exceptionally proud of Jazz. You know, like you've yeah. done a lot of mentoring and coaching with her as well. And I watch you talking to people and coaching when you're out there doing PSA work and so forth. I'd listen to you on your reels and see what you're doing with your dogs. Like I follow literally everything that you do. It's just amazing. I mean, even if we compared this podcast to the last time you're on the show, last time you were struggling to come up with a conversation this time, you, you know, like you talk with confidence You've got subject matter that you can get into. It's pretty cool. It's yeah. great. It's I'm You're really I'm, out. I'm fanboying you a bit. That's what I'm trying so to say. So we finish with this circle jerk, and what's the next topic? <laughs> but it's, I but, appreciate I but, appreciate what you're saying. I do. I just turn into a an armadillo ball when people give me compliments I, I know and that. still stare at the floor and I, kick my shoes. I know that. I guess a point that I'm trying to make is that Pat and I talked a while ago about how important it is for the new generation to come up in the industry to show growth and to not only take the values of the mentors that they worked under, but also to find their own. We've all got to find our own legacy within this industry as well, because there's promise within the industry. You mm-hmm. know, it creates new legacy and it creates new opportunities for people because it starts introducing like a wider palette for people to be able to select from in dog training. Otherwise it suffocates. Mm. Other industries have have done that. But I was talking to some colleagues the other day about showing Mm. and the show world is basically shitting itself. You know, like it's, it's cannibalizing itself because there's problems with corruption in the show industry. There's problems with people fighting all the time. And I guess maybe it could be for certain breeds. I don't know, but you know, there's a lot of industries which are literally falling in onside themselves because they're not supporting the younger people and the younger people don't want to do it. They don't like it. There's no future in it for them. They don't feel yeah. like, why would I want to go and spend a weekend with a bunch of people that kick the shit out of each other and don't mm. support each other? Yeah. Whereas in our industry, you know, like when you watch jazz and you watch other people who are younger than us and they're coming in the industry, it's good to see that people are still enthusiastic about it. Mm. You know, like you've been doing some decoying lately, which we talked about in the kitchen. That's great to see that, you know, like there's still a lot of enthusiasm in decoying. Like mm. it's there. There's mm. a pool of people who want to get involved in that. I'm happy to see all this sort of stuff. It makes me feel fulfilled in the industry is that you're seeing people that love it and want to get into it and are bettering it actively. What a boost of serotonin you get thinking about this. Back on sort of topic. We decided we we're going to get a couple of dogs. So like I said, it was, well, I, I was like, hey, Jazz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. When he says we, he's just like, he's a boot up the butt. And I'm, okay. I'm going to buy two <laughs> kettles and get them, uh, three kettles three, and get three. them delivered to your house. And then I'm going to buy two dogs and get them delivered to your house. And we are going to raise them. So he's living vicariously through my life. <laughs> yeah. Because I have two kids and I don't have time for this. Oh, I had one kid at the time. Yeah. So the plan was, it was Ash in the club. She had Niha, who was really probably the best female German Shepherd I've ever worked in my life. Very powerful, very stable sort of dog. Uh, unfortunately, it's passed away since, but I uh, hadn't- uh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. 
think it was a snake bite. Yeah, she got a snake. Oh, I live out in the bush I do recall. Yeah. I do recall. Yes, um, now I recall. But like a very sort of raw dog by the time she came to us, right? And was very powerful, beautiful bite. One of the, like, pro, without a doubt, the best female shepherd I've ever worked. Ash breeds dogs and I you hadn't in a while and I was like, you have to breed her, you have to. And she's like, oh, no, I don't want to. And she's, a real, she's a real pedigree like, snob and I was like, listen, Ash. We say that with affection. Yeah, of course. But I was like, listen, if you don't breed this dog, I'm going to bring my <laughs> Malinois around and you are having, you are having shepherd mm. Mally crosses because this dog needs to be bred. So she agrees reluctantly. She's like, yeah, okay, I'll do it. She's like, it's a lot of work though, but Yeah, it's a lot okay. of work doing these puppies. So she gets, you know, organises a dog from her own kennel. It's the right bloodline, blah, blah, blah. Does a mating. But you, you convince her though. Like one of the things that really I think convinced her was you just reminded her that like, hey, man, like the, the mother dog does a lot of the work, okay? <laughs> like the, you just have to just keep things on track, you know, obviously wean them off and help yeah. with that process. But, yeah. but, you know, just remember you're not doing all the work. Like yeah. the mother dog does, yeah. you know, the bitch does. So she has a puppy's. Nia's a terrible mum. <laughs> <laughs> Ash has to hand raise the puppies. She does a great job of it. We ended up with two. Jordan, who was uh, training with us at the time, got one as well and was kind of going to go along uh, with us. And then he owned a pub and it was during COVID and blah, blah, blah. He just didn't have the time. He had other stuff yeah, going on. So he, bushfires, COVID. Yeah, it was just it, too much for him. I was surprised he even wanted to do it initially. It was just, mm. So we took that dog off him as well and we had the three of them for a while and they were all at your house. Yep. And one thing I want to talk about is like, Glenn, you were discussing, you know, like raising, training, selling dogs. Mm. And I think for the most part, the way that people do that here in Australia, there's exceptions to this. There's companies that do it, like, you know, the Canine Solutions guys who we've had on and, you know, there's people who do it as a job to yep. sell to agencies. But for the people that do it for the most part, they're selling green dogs. The dogs sort of are in a kennel. They get brought out. They don't do a lot of training. They probably do some good bite work. You know, they get the dog biting pretty well and the dog's sort of somewhat open and sort of social but not a lot of training on the dogs. And the dogs are somewhat Developed kind of, ready for the work, right? Yeah, well, they're yeah. ready to be trained, but yep. they're not trained. They're ready to do it. Mm. And I think that is probably a much easier thing to do with much less risks involved, right? Because there's much less input. The dog's in a kennel, gets brought out. You know, you do your session per day, but then the dog goes back in there. And that preserves a lot of the drives and keep, you know, actually, you know, brings out quite a lot of it because of the frustration and that. And for the most part, green dogs, when they're purchased, whether you're getting them, you know, domestically here or importing them if you're in the US or if you go to Europe to get them, whatever, that's been their life, right? They live in a kennel, they come out, they're walked every day, they're well cared for, but not a lot of inputs, not a lot of time consumption from the owner of that to raise them. But what you did, Jazz, was quite the opposite, right? Is that there was a lot of inputs and fully trained the dogs to the point where our goal was that by the time we sell them, I want them ready to work the streets. Like they'll have to do their police dog handler course and be paired with someone. Yep. But our goal was that they're not teaching them shit on the course. Like that was our goal was that they're turning a dog that knows all the things into a dog that can do all the things for real. Mm. That was our goal. Yeah, basically a finished product as far as a civilian can get it before that the the handler has to do their part and yeah. only they can do that part. And I should preface that because I know most of our listeners are in the US, a civilian in Australia, because like we have different access to things and opportunities. And so there are places in Australia where civilians run it start to finish. Uh, sorry, in the US where a civilian breeds, raises, trains, sells, and then even does the handler course for the officer um, oh, right. and okay. certifies them ready to work the streets. But that does, that's not how it works like here. Like Tar Heel. Yeah, yeah exactly, right? Yeah. Th that's not how it works yeah. here. Yep. Yeah. 
So the training and the time consumption and all of that that went into it was that you had those dogs able to live in the house, right? Like they were kennel dogs, but they were handleable. They were in and out of drive. They could live as not as a pet, but as a managed, controlled working dog that knew the difference between working and not rather than just a green dog that's kind of off tap and comes out of the kennel ready to work. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So they basically did live in a way as a pet, but not as a pet like my dog Genta or, you know, a couch potato, but you got to take them out, you know, you work them, you give them the outlet that they need, give them the training and all of that. But they can then come home, be in the kennels, be loose in the backyard. Later, much like closer to the end of the training, I could bring uh, them inside with my own dog as well. They wouldn't destroy the house. They just basically go, oh, okay, we're like, we're, we're chilling. No worries. Cool. But that's not until much, much later. But they understand all of that, but then they still have the ability to express themselves in the drive and to to do the work. But yeah, like I said before, the, the main part is teaching them how to live in society and live with me because I just live in suburbia. Like I've, I've got neighbors all around me whose dogs all fence fight and try to fence fight with all of mine and client dogs and everything, but I can't have problem dogs. You know, that's going to draw quite a lot of attention because I'm constantly walking them in and out. If there's dogs barking, if there's dogs causing issues, everyone's going to assume that it's, it's my dogs, but in actual fact, it's not, you know, so I'm pretty careful about that to make sure that they are not causing any problems, you know? So that does take up a lot of the training time and, and time that I have with them. But they can also just then go to kennels and be totally cool with other people handling them. You know, I could have someone come over to my house and take them out if I couldn't be there, you know, for an extended period of time or something. They're social. They can do the work. But, yeah, they definitely know when to switch on. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the difference in the two dogs. I feel like developmentally <laughs> for you, and it was interesting for me to watch, is you know, as dog trainers, we're constantly telling people this is the way, right? This is how it goes. And I think crate training is the best example of, right? Like it's like, this is it. And yeah. sometimes we get a client that's like, no, but it's not working. And as a, as a trainer where I was like, no, it works. You just have to stick with it. Yeah. Like, blah, blah, blah. You're just not doing it right. Or you haven't done mm. it for long enough. Expand on that a little bit. Yeah. So I think a lot of people now know, I don't necessarily like having dogs. I like training dogs. Like I like doing things with them. So for me, it's not about having them at home with me and, and all of that. And I definitely don't like noisy dogs. So it's just like very sound sensitive. So it's just a problem. So I'm always making sure that I don't, I don't have vocal dogs, but as I said, I live in suburbia. So the two dogs I had, Franklin and Frederick, later the third dog that I, I got off Jordan was Brick. Now he has a different name with his new owner. Franklin was blue collar. Frederick was red collar. Franklin was a dream. He maybe barked a couple of times, whined a little bit, first night, whatever, and then was like, oh, okay, cool, this is, just, this is just how it is. And he was chill. He was always chill in the, in the crate, in the kennel, in the car, and I have my particular process to go from the the crate in the house in the beginning to then transitioning to the kennel outside alone, things like that in the car and all of that. Now, Frederick, on the other hand, was a nightmare. <laughs> I questioned everything that I had planned to do with these dogs. <laughs> I contemplated selling them. I contemplated just like giving them to my neighbor, just going, here, have a little puppy. It's so cute. Have it. It was a bit of a nightmare. He, he didn't bark. He didn't whine. He screamed. Mm. And if anyone's ever heard 
a shepherd scream, right? But for those who may not have heard that, like a staffy, if you've ever heard a staffy screaming where it's not whining, it's not barking, it just sounds like a blood curdling scream. That was him. And I'm surprised I didn't end up with the RSPCA at my door. Yeah. I even contacted the council, someone I know there, just to let them know in case you get any calls, this is the situation, this is the process. You give me a few weeks, whatever, a few months, everything will be sorted, whatever it was going to take. And she was like, no problems, I trust you, that's fine. If we do get any calls, I'll just give you a heads up so you know. I'm surprised I got no hate mail in the letterbox from neighbors or anything, but it was a serious problem. And it wasn't from a lack of drive expression and things like that. Just he had a very hard time being alone. So we worked on it a lot. Safe to say we sol- uh, solved the problem and he was he was an amazing dog in the future um, at the end. But the process I had to go through with each of them was so different Something as simple as, and it's so stupid, but I even had to tell his handler, hey man, this dog, just pop him in the kennel, this is his words, and off he goes, no worries. But this dog, for this handler, hey, you got to give him like a little bit of extra love before you pop him in the kennel. Like, give him an extra, he's down to about two minutes, you give him about two minutes of love before you pop him in the kennel, and it'll be sweet. Mm. At the start, we needed like 20 minutes, phase that down to like 10 minutes, and, and we... We weaned him back a little bit, but he needed a solid 10 to 20 minutes of just love, affection, time, individual with you before he would go in his crate or kennel and be okay. It's just one of his needs and I could see that. I don't necessarily like that and it's going to be a problem if it didn't change. Hence, we we slowly sort of weaned him off that and and showed him that it wasn't necessary. He didn't need that. He learned how to basically self-soothe and, you know, and do all of that. But it was interesting. But in that process, I also had to make sure I didn't cause a problem with Frank. If he's seeing his sibling getting all this other attention and time or play or, or love and affection, like making sure he doesn't end up developing a problem, you know, so that was difficult. I had to give him some if I thought he was needing it as well. But the, the process was just so different. And a lot of their training was that way. Their tracking, the way I rewarded, what I rewarded with, the bite work as well, how I communicated with them, the way I used pressure. Like it's the the system, like if you want to call it a system, the, the or the process is the same in terms of the the pressure and the rewards and teaching things, but each step was at a different stage and different. Like it's hard to it's hard to explain. No, um, it, it, but like Frank needed more clear direction and go, Hey bro, this is what I want you to do. Do that. And he's like, okay, no problem. Like if, if he was getting too confused, his arousal goes up, he doesn't function as well. Whereas Fred's like, Hey, I'm along for the ride. Like as long as we're doing it together, like it's okay. I'll figure it out on my own or with a little bit of help. But Frank just needed really clear instructions. Mm. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. It makes perfect sense to me. But see, this is one of the things that I think when I watch a lot of people on Instagram and or social media where they think, oh, I've got one dog, I've got it. Yeah. I think you haven't got jack shit. Yeah, yeah. They do good stuff, you know, like their dog looks nice, it's pretty what they're doing and so forth, but they haven't got jack shit. You got one dog. They yeah, got one, one dog. dog. One they, They've got one, it's like one road that you've driven on all your life and then all of a sudden you come to a multi-tiered highway yeah. where there's roads going off everywhere and you think, holy shit, I don't know what I'm doing now. Yeah. Even if like, so some people, like same sort of thing, like uh, what you're saying, they're training one dog and even if they haven't used one method, if they've joined a few, say, different methods or 
different ideas from different uh, people or, or let's say trainers or whatever. And they've joined those together for that dog. And they're like, look, see, I can apply different systems. And I was like, yeah, but applying those four systems and like kudos to them, applying those say four different systems in that way, in that order at that time with that dog worked. But if you did that exact same thing, you know, those four different systems, that timing, blah, 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 might not work for the next dog. Exactly. Because for the next dog, if you combine system A and system B, that may not work for that dog. That could the, the only problem with that, though, and I totally agree with you, the only problem with that is that they won't acknowledge that until they experience it. And that's the very frustrating thing about those sort of conversations. That's because just part of the process, I it guess. Is, it, it is part it of is the process. It is hard to watch, but. It is. It's very annoying and it's aggravating when you're going through it, but it's part of the process and it gives you breadth. Yeah. Like it actually broadens your horizons and it creates something exceptional from you as a trainer and a handler because then you can see a lot of the applications where you have to modify who you are and what you would normally do in order to start communicating with that dog properly. Otherwise, like you said, one of the dogs, your conversation would have been perfect. The other would have been completely off the rails. You might as well have been yeah. speaking a different language to the dog altogether because you, if you're not prepared to change on that or you can't, more importantly, you can't because you don't have the experience and the know-how to do it, and you're locked in a system of doing one dog one way, you're fucked. Yeah. And it's like, say, with Genta, like I was developing her confidence and her drive in certain ways. And, you know, one of the ways that I used to teach her how to overcome her fear of just anything, any random sort of things, right, I would use shaping. But I can't always tell clients to do that because it's not suitable for their dog. Maybe the dog doesn't have the foundations and for them to develop the foundation and understanding of shaping, it's going to take them too long, blah, blah, blah. Maybe that's not time, uh, suitable in terms of time for that owner and things like that. Or maybe the owner is not as competent with shaping and yeah. that's just not yep. suitable for the handler. So I have to figure out a different plan for that dog. But getting my hands on lots of dogs like in the kennels or these puppies and, and other client dogs and everything like that developed that ability because otherwise I would have been stuck in that same thing with mm. just sticking to what I've done with my personal dog because it worked for her and assuming it would work for everyone. But yeah, it was kind of funny watching the progress of of the dogs, especially when I started to do the obedience and everything, which I did because I was locked down during COVID and got bored. So eventually started to teach them the obedience, uh, filmed the whole process. Here's a plug. I've got a reliable obedience video on my website, which you can purchase. It's pretty cheap. It's pretty good. If I don't <laughs> give people your website address, even though we do it, I can't even end. do a plug probably. <laughs> <laughs> give your website address so they know where to find it. Prime-canine.com forward slash tutorials, or you just find the tutorials tab and there's a couple in there. Mark's in the reliable obedience one, but in that obedience video, you can see that the dogs are learning it at different speeds. I have the video footage from both of them learning it. And there's a few times where I'm like, hey, I have to show this particular clip and explain why I did it for this dog, but it was not necessary for the other one. There's a particular video I can remember where Franklin was learning uh, the monkey drills, uh, the sit down and stand. <laughs> and, <laughs> we just went through that the other day. Yeah. Yeah. And he was doing something very particular and it was a pretty important moment for his training. Unfortunately, the video footage that I had was not in focus, but I said, like, I have to include this because it's an important part of his process. So despite the fact it wasn't, uh, the camera wasn't quite in focus and I'm not happy with that footage, I still had to include it because for him, it was important. It might be important for another person's dog who watched that, but maybe for someone else, they were more like Fred and didn't need that. But that's what I thought was interesting about raising siblings is watching those differences and being able to show people 
the differences. And I, I very much think that Roger and Richard, which are the current two, are going to be very much like that as well. Their, their process for learning is going to be different. Their motivations are different. Their attitudes and how they're developing and how they're dealing with kennel and crate training and how affiliative they are and all those sort of things are very different to each other, but very similar to Fred and Frank, how they were different. I think that's been the fantastic thing about it was watching those two differences. And, you know, it just, it drives a wedge further into that idea that there's a right way to do everything. You know what I mean? Like, and the the classic, you know, the system of like, this is the way you train a dog. Mm. And it just falls apart when you go, yeah, but I've got litter mates and they're not even trained the same way. Yeah. Like they're motivated differently. And if it it just sort of demonstrates that some dogs will fall out of the system if you have, if you're so rigid in the way that you do things and you're not willing to adapt to the dog. And really like there is an answer and it's pressure, right? Because they'll, they'll all will respond to pressure. They may respond differently, but it will work and, you know, ultimately will work. That's all you're doing it wrong. But if you're going to use motivational techniques, then like you really have to say to the dog, like, hey, who are you, man? Yeah. Like, who? what are you into? What are you What are you like? And, and I remember when they stay with me, I love cuddling dogs, right? And so <laughs> like when he stay with me, I'd be like, I'm coming for my nightly cuddle. And he'd be like, beat it, mate. And yeah. he w- was not interested. Like he'd run around the yard, he'd sit around and and like he, he didn't even really, he tried to staunch Remy a few times, which I thought was funny, <laughs> but like he would just sort of do his own thing and he was quite happy by himself. And when it was time to go into the kennel at night, I'd just say, hey, get in. And he'd jump in and it'd be fine. Whereas Fred, like if you did not go out there and give him a special cuddle before at night, he would scream all night. And then, but that became evident in the way they were trained. Right. So Frank was like very transactionally trained dog. Yeah. hundred percent. I do the work for the thing. I I don't care, especially about the work, but I want the thing that you have. And he liked bite work. Like he enjoyed the bite and stuff, but like the tracking and stuff that he did and the obedience that he did was like, if you don't have the shit to pay me, I ain't doing this. Yeah. And so you, know, you have to be more careful in the way that you train a dog like that because you have to have them believe that you have the thing all the time, even if you don't, so that you know, and your reward schedule and your reward placement has to be very specific because the dog is only doing it for the delivery of the reinforcer, like a, the, the positive reinforcement application of. Whereas then you get Fred who's like, as long as we're in it together, man. Yeah. Like and he just wanted to play together. And mm. then you see like he enjoyed tracking. Like he would – sorry, it was Frank that Frank, would track yeah. himself back to the car. So like he's <laughs> the really – so Frank would – even though he was the really toy-motivated dog and only did it for the things you'd give him, he enjoyed tracking so much that, that at the was, end of the track when you're yeah. like, here's the ball, he'd be like, fuck the ball, and he'd track himself back to the car. Yeah, like, while well, he's like, holding the ball, he's like, yeah, yeah cool, I'm, I'm tracking back. Whereas Fred, you had to play with him, right? Like you had to really get into it. The idea of just going like, congratulations, here's the item. He's like, I never wanted that item. I want you to play with me with the item. Exactly. And when Frank, like when I could see he was so driven for certain rewards, certain toys or whatever, I knew I had to be careful on how I was teaching the behaviors and how I was reinforcing that because the behaviors are going to become so strong like that, like, mm. like that tracking. And if, if I was to teach something incorrectly, I knew that that would be a very hard thing to change if it became like, if he loved it so much and then I realized I taught it wrong, like that would be quite difficult mm. to, to change, you know? Um, but uh, yeah, it was quite interesting. And 
God help you if you ever asked for some obedience or something from Frank. And then, you know, you realize that you dropped your ball about 50 meters back and then you're ready to reward him and you realize you don't have it and yeah. it's too far for you to send it to because he can't see it in the grass. But then you're like, oh, what do I do? I need to reinforce you. And then you're like, you know what, I'll just ask for another behavior and I'll do it down at a distance while I get closer to this ball. Whereas Fred, man, I was, uh, I was tracking one day. And I dropped the ball, right? My fault, same, in both situations, my fault. I, uh, I dropped the reward and didn't realize until it's too late. Now, Fred, I actually gave his marker, reached for the ball and was like, oh, no. It's not there. Oh, no. While he's running back, I was like, okay, okay. Rolodex is going in my head. I'm like, okay, what, do I, what am I doing here? Which dog do I have, first of all? What's his reward? What is he like? And I was like, huh, dandelion on the grass. Okay, dink, got that held it up as like as close to the ends as I could. And I was like, here, just bite this. Okay, cool. He got it. And then I was like, oh, look, buddy, you brought it back. Let's tug one tug. It's, you know, broken. He tries to eat it. And then I was like, cool, let's get another one. And then slowly working my way back towards that ball. But he was like, he was like, this is the best thing in the world. No problems. I don't care if it's a ball or if it's a dandelion, mm. right? You know, he'll play with a leaf. It, it really didn't matter for him. But if I presented a dandelion to Franklin, I probably would have lost my hand Yeah, yeah. if I had not taught him, you know, don't do that, right? But yeah, it's, it's very interesting with both of them. If you rewind back to the start of this conversation where I talked about like the fiscal side of things, mm. like the financial side of things, being in the red after all that mm-hmm. time, Nothing, you couldn't put any value on what you just picked up between those two dogs. No, it's like a learning experience now. And that's the side of it, again, which I have to reiterate to people listening to Jazz talking about this story. That experience alone, like I can't emphasize, it is exponential what you actually pick up when Mm. you're starting to play with different dogs and learn about different drives and how you have to change yourself for each time that you take a dog out. Like there's a lot of similarities And there's a lot of templating that you can do, which you discover and you think, oh, this is what I've got to do. I've got to be a a type A personality with this type of dog and I've got to be a B and a C with this type of dog. And you learn that as you go along. Like the dog will start spiraling you up to be a certain type of somebody because you have to be for that type of dog. Mm. Because if you're not, let's say the dog's type B and you're trying to type A it, it will not fall into that category. Mm. And then all you'll do is you'll just start bashing heads together and the outcomes will be terrible. It's just a complete and utter waste of everybody's time because all it is is just a fuck session. Well, yeah. and, and I think a lot of, you know, the benefits of that comes from that the fact that you were never intended to keep the dogs. Yep. So, like, I think when people get a dog for themselves, they're like, have in mind, this is the type of dog that I want. And so they start trying to train it as though it is the dog that they want and it may not be. Yep. And that's where they butt heads all the time, yeah. right? You see that all the time when people are like, no, but I want Or wanted- they settle. They just settle. Yeah. But you mm. see like where people clash all the time with their dog is they're like, no, I want a dog that works in prey and likes the ball as much as the decoy. And, you know, like whatever they're sort of, you know, will take food and wants to train for food and likes the Frisbee and sort of all these things. And so they start trying to train the dog the way that they want to train the dog Mm. rather than necessarily the way that the dog wants to train. And, and I think for you, because you just need to train dogs. It's not a case of like, I want a particular dog that trains in a particular way. You're like, I want the money at the end of this. And, and in order to get that, the dogs have to have these skill sets. Yeah, we know where my motivation lies. Yeah. So, but like you then have to adapt and go like, what will serve me the very best with yeah. no concern for your own like experience in the session beyond success. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the cool thing about doing that. It's why I encourage so many people when they want to get into like working dogs, 
and they want to get their dog that's going to be their one. I'm like, get attached to it, love it, because that's important, but don't get attached to the idea of that being your dog. Like yeah. raise it, train it, see how it goes. And if it's not the right fit for you, then it's it's often the right fit for someone else. And that can be really shocking to a lot of people, you know, and people who have only ever had pets and a pets for life and all of that kind of stuff. But the idea of like in the working dog space that dogs – they need to fit the right mold in order to be successful. And chances are, if it's not the right fit for you, it might be the right fit for someone else. And the dog is better off being moved around like that. That can be really hard for some people to rationalize, I think, and sort of come to terms with. Mm. Yeah. And I think a lot of social pressure and social guilt, you know, for giving up a dog or selling a dog mm. or even pressure from the industry, you know, if you're a dog trainer and you're selling a dog because it's not the dog you that you wanted and, you know, it hasn't turned out that way. There might be social pressure on like, oh, like, you know, you just stick with it. You're giving up too soon. Like, oh, that's terrible. Like your dog loves you, blah, blah, blah. Or there could be that that sort of business aspect where it's like people then might doubt your ability to train it. And you're like, yeah, but like if this just isn't the dog suitable for what I want it to do, then mm. it's better off somewhere else. I'm better off finding a new dog. And But I think there's yeah a lot of pressure from yeah different directions in terms of that. But thankfully I, I don't really have that pressure. And even when I – if and when I eventually, you know, get a forever Mally, it's it's going to be like if I get to 12 to 18 months, basically roughly when we, we sell the pups that I do train, if it gets to about that time and I'm like, uh, you're not really working out like the way or you're not suiting my lifestyle, you have different needs or you're going to be suitable for something else, then I'll sell it and, and start again. You mm. know, that's like I think I've said that to you previously and you've also said like, well, if you, if you really like one of these dogs and it's perfect for you, you know, you can keep it. And I was like, yeah, probably not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> like because I go into – these not planning to keep them. Yeah, but I mean, you do that until you find the one that you like. Yeah. But I think the alternative though is to end up sort of resenting the dog. That's what I think people sort of don't talk about. And, yeah. and there, I know so many people that are unhappy with the dog that they have. Well, it's like, uh, it's like me with Genta, you know, and mm. I've had to work through a lot with her. Sure, she was great. She, she was an assistance dog. Um, she is still great, sorry. But she wasn't the dog that I wanted. She wasn't the dog that I needed. Sure, she's been a massive part in in getting me to where I am, but there's a lot of resent. There was a lot of resentment there because she was not the dog suitable then for me to advance further. Once she was trained and she she got to the level she was at, she's not suitable to do the th- other things that I wanted her to do. Like, you know, go do PSA, do high intensity, you know, bite work or other sort of things like that. She's just She's not the dog for that. You know, I, I could train her to do stuff, but it's not what she's going to want to do. Mm. So I don't, but I, I had a lot of resentment there and we sort of had to work through that. Our relationship was a bit, uh, bit rocky for a little bit, but we worked through it, went back to a lot of um, play and just hanging out and those sort of things. But that's because I was trying to, I wanted to force her into something that she wasn't going to be suitable for. And then I had to accept the fact that that's just, that's not going to work and figure out a different way to have what I need, but give her what she needs. Mm. So, you know, raise and train bobbies. It's funny how it works out though, because she couldn't do everything that you wanted her to do, but was a gateway to oh, yeah. a whole world oh, yeah. that opened up. So that's time. the thing. She, she essentially did more, right? Yeah. But it's like, yeah, there's, there's both. She, she definitely did more, but what I thought that I wanted and needed at the time, yeah, she couldn't do, but I if could, we I had not never, met, Oh, mate, I did. If we had not met, she, as your assistance dog, (laughs) would have caused you so many more. She never would have got qualified. Like, who are you kidding? Yeah. But, like, had you not decided, like, so, like, the way I feel, I truly feel like the way that she helped you and did astronomically 
was by being a problem you had to solve. Yeah, 100%. If you couldn't solve that problem or if she never was a problem, if you'd just gotten like a dog that was 100% suitable to be your assistance dog, yeah. you would have a dog that helped you through difficult situations, but you would be in constant difficult situations and required the help of that dog. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because your whole life went on like, oh, well, fuck, I'm a dog trainer now. I'll never forget. <laughs> and I know we've t- discussed on the show. I'll never forget the first day we met and I, and you're telling me like, this is going to be my uh. assistance dog. And I remember saying, well, I was like, I don't like your odds. And, and, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I said, I'm not saying it's impossible. There's, I'm not saying this dog can't be trained to pass a pat test, but in order to do that, you are going to have to become a fucking great dog trainer. And I'll never forget, you look straight at me and you go, well, I've got nothing else going on, so <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that's what it's going to be. I guess so. Yeah, man. Training back then, oh, that was crazy. I still remember you trying to teach me shaping games. Yeah. What a nightmare. Yeah, what a disaster that was. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's something I really enjoy doing and something that I'd never done before, but I've really come to enjoy is the the tracking aspect, mm. um, despite the fact getting up at stupid o'clock in the morning. It's quite hard sometimes, especially in winter, but doing that tracking, learning how to do that with, with Franklin and Frederick, they were the first dogs I did it with. I really enjoy the process, which is interesting. It could just be the fact that I'm learning a new skill and I enjoy that. So maybe that's why I enjoyed it. Or it could just be like, I really enjoy tracking itself and the dogs using their nose and stuff. But something I want to look into, like maybe in the future, not with these ones necessarily, or I might towards the end play around with having a go at this with these guys, if everything else is squared away, is detection work, you know, because mm-hmm. I think, A, that would be a pretty cool school to learn, but um, B, just to sort of see if it's the if the scent work that I like or maybe it's only tracking or maybe it's just the fact that I'm learning a new skill. But that would be something pretty cool I think um, I'll try in the future and, you know, maybe uh, maybe get a totally uh, different dog, you know, lab or a springer and, and train it in detection and open mm-hmm. up that side of works as well, not just the, what are they called, GDs, uh, general mm-hmm. duties dogs. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's, uh, that's a possibility. So if everyone, anyone wants to send me a, a working lab or... Careful, they will. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I have a spare kennel. Yeah, uh, you do, uh, yeah. Uh, do I want to tolerate another dog? <laughs> yeah. But, detection um, work is actually fun. When you actually have the time and the resources to be able to do it, I find it very cathartic. Would that be mm-hmm. the word for it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I find it working with the dogs. One of my things that I actually look forward to now is going to do the HME work with the different services. I actually really enjoy working with the teams and watching the dogs progress. And it's a lovely experience. It's a lot of boy time, which is fun as well. Mm. There are ladies there as well, of course, but it's just fun watching dogs work out the puzzle. You know, yeah. like watching them work through the whole process and, and when they finally dawn on it and that you can see them working and you can f- see a dog coming into odour, that for a human is really reinforcing in itself. Like mm. watching yeah. that dog change its whole body language, it's a great feeling. It's like the the day with uh, with these guys, Rich and Roger, the day that I realised one of them had been messing me around a little bit. I was like, ah, Pat, I don't know, I don't know if he's not understanding what I want him to do. Maybe he was picking up the wrong scent at the start and now he's having a bit of trouble because that scent's not around. So he actually has not learnt the initial tracking part or maybe he's just slower in the development or all of the above. And I was questioning whether I taught it right. I was like, oh, should I go back, reset, start again, figure out a new method? I was, I was sort of tossing all this around. And on the few days I was really thinking about that and contemplating making a change, I set up a few short tracks just to just to practice repetitions of the start. And then I lined him up 
and I put him on the first one, cool, no problems. He indicated, okay, awesome, went to the next one. Yep, okay, awesome, went to the next one. And then he just insisted on going completely off. And I was like, shit, okay, look, he's he's not getting it. I thought he did on the first two. This one he's not. Okay, this, like he's showing me he's guessing or maybe he's doing something else on those. It just appears to be correct, but maybe it's really not. So he's pulling off hard to the left. Like he's pulling hard. He's fixated over there. And I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. Okay, let's just, where are you pulling? He legit went completely diagonal and then turned in a weird angle and walked straight and downed. And I was like, see, man, you're guessing. You're guessing. You don't even know what. And I walked over and I was like, oh, shit. Okay. He does know what he's doing. Okay. He just indicated on the article. I set him up on the wrong part. I wasn't at the start of the track. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I was yeah. like, I thought I had the start of the track and turns out I didn't. He was like, screw you. It's over here. And off he went. And I was like, aha, I've got you, man. You cannot pretend anymore. That's it. I know you can track now. Right. So anything less, it's a motivational problem, not an educational problem. Mm. And I was like, there's no, there's no more playing games. Now in saying that, if it's an extra difficult day, maybe there's extra I don't know, wind or if it had lightly rained or something like, you know, there are other things that maybe might make, make it difficult for him on other days, but in general, he understood it's just, there was not enough motivation or the right motivation to have him do it consistently on all those other days. Mm. And I thought that was pretty interesting. Now I had my camera set up, but it was not the greatest because it was too dark in the morning. So I never ended up really getting good footage of that, but I might see if I can maybe try to clean it up, but I, I doubt it. But it was, uh, yeah, it was quite an a, a interesting moment. It is interesting, isn't it? Like I was in the shower this morning just thinking, and, and for some reason I was just thinking about tracking and detection work. I don't know why. <laughs> these things just we come in. We think different things in the shower. Yeah, it was just funny. I was, I, I love a long shower. Like I love leaning up against the wall and having the hot water just pour on top of you. It's okay. Just, it's just lovely. It's okay, great. Yeah, no, I agree. But, yeah, but I'm not doing what you're doing in there. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just, I, I don't know why this morning I was just thinking about detection and tracking work. Maybe it was because Jazz was coming on the show and I was thinking about the dogs, but it's just getting worse, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah man, I'm just going to take that shovel right, off right on, now. Hang on, I'll, I'll, on, I'll, I'll just undig myself out of the hole. Anyway, I'm thinking about tracking and the excuses I used to have people come up when we were doing Schutzen in the early days, like my dog can't do this. And I said, back then we used to explain it in a way that made sense, but it wouldn't have made anywhere near as much sense as it would have now because there's a lot more information and a lot more mentoring and a lot more people I've spoken to over time. But even just watching the biological way a dog will work a ground scent picture, which has got nothing to do with anything that we've done, but if it's favourable for them, they can go as long as they want to go and as much distance as they want to cover Mm. until they either, A, get to what they got, lose interest in it, or... Physically exhaust, or physically or exhaust themselves. Oh right? man, I got sick of like doing tracks with these boys. Hey Pat, it was mm. like we were, we ended up walking a couple of kilometers to set a track, and I was like, bro, I'm I'm kind of sick of this. It's kind of I, I wonder I wonder if I'm going to enjoy detection more simply because I'm lazy and I don't have to walk a track. Yeah. I'm like, you're, I, lazy. <laughs> you're anything but well, lazy. Oh no, I, I'm lazy with that sort of stuff. I'll go choke some people at jujitsu and all sorts of stuff, but like I don't I don't want to walk but two kilometers, especially when they were, were finishing them and they were oh, like mate. were doing long tracks and it was and you, you know, decide. Like, to walk through the water one yeah. day. Don't tell me like, either. Like that was a blind track for yeah. sure. You're like, I'm going to go this way. We're doing like four or five kilometer. Oh yeah. That's having to walk back from it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it when you're done, you've got to carry everything back. Yeah. And, and like, yeah. you know, we re- want to like, 
I have a bit of a thing about having been the end user of military and police products. Not that I was, like was a doggy that bought dogs, but like I can't face the idea of selling to the police a dog that isn't what we're saying that it is, yeah. right? Yeah. So like before we, you know, demonstrated their capability, I wanted it to be, really be there. I don't want to like pretend that they're better than they are. So we were putting them through the fucking paces, man. Oh, man, we were, yeah. We're like, trying to lose them. Torrential a- rain as well. Yeah. Like we didn't we didn't stop during the floods and stuff. We kept them safe and everything, but uh like tracking through all kinds of weather as well. Yeah, and crossing but, river, like not yeah. rivers, but canals and yeah. creeks and stuff like that. Oh, that like one that. was so gross. Are you thinking about on that big field with yeah. the wires above? Oh, yeah, it was disgusting. So, gross. so the things that they would probably encounter yeah, occupation. Yeah, for real. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted Throw to be able to over a fence that. one day and I was like, bro, I don't think I don't think he went that way, but you're telling me he went that way. But okay, it makes, over we go. Like, it makes for a long morning. Like it yeah, started yeah. out as like, you know, you got puppies and it's like, oh, we did a little 20 minutes of, of like laid the track, let it age, and then we went the 10 metres and he indicated on the article what a wonderful morning let's go get breakfast to yeah. the point of like oh fuck it's been two hours yeah you know what yeah. I mean? yeah it's a lot of groundwork to cover which gets eaten up in no time at yeah. all trust me though i enjoyed that part more than you probably because prior to you doing the tracks i was doing all yeah, the tracks so i'm yourself. doing it all solo and i'm walking the whole distance out then coming back then doing the distance with the dog repeating again for the second dog and i'm just like oh mate i'm like i like and like i enjoy working alone and stuff but then sometimes you're just like Bro, I've I'm I'm just sick of staring at this grass walking along. Fuck you guys! Like, like I, I was speaking to somebody the other day, and they're going, "Oh, I just listen to podcasts while I'm laying tracks." I think we never had any of that fucking technology <laughs> back around when we were doing. It. I just had Alec Jones sticking his boot up my ass all the time. <laughs> but what I will say of that though, like when we were training together in the mornings, you know, three or four mornings a week, it, we're starting at five a.m. Like laying the track or tracking as the sun comes up. Like that's a good it was day. Good. They're yeah. a fucking good day. And, and I mean, feel, we could talk about all the chemicals and the light yeah, and everything. Yeah, like there's real scientific reasons why it sets yes. you up for such a good day. But mm. hanging out with people you like, doing yeah. something you like, out as the sun is rising, like that's a fucking good experience. Yeah. And I think that probably would be a contributor to why you enjoyed the tracking. Something 100%. I wanted to say then, Glenn, about like that sort of intrinsic motivation to track. Well, what was interesting with the current dogs um, – we're bouncing all over the place, but that that that's a podcast. Well, that, that's my head. <laughs> that, that's us. That's what we do. But we were walking them. Remember a couple of months ago, we just took them for a, like a social walk, like around where I train, just to get them used to you know, a big part of, I think, one of the benefits that like the way that we were training dogs brings is that we don't have facility. So they're in parks and public spaces from the jump, which means they're learning to manage being around other dogs. And we're like, we're having to sort of proof right from the get go. Cause we don't have any choice. Yeah. And I, I have with these ones, I've done not a single session at home. I didn't even load their markers at home and I wanted to see how I went with it this time. The only stuff I'll really kind of do at home is anything to do with the mill because that's not very transportable and stuff. Mm. But I wanted to see how it goes because then it will help me if someone needs to train something, but they live in an apartment and they can't train like that. How can I help them do that in other areas? And and do I have any experience in that? And what problems did I come across? You know, there's someone that I'm thinking of who wants a, a working dog and they live in an apartment. So it's like, that's sort of what kind of gave me the idea where I'm like, oh, how would I show someone or help someone do this in that situation? I was like, man, I'm going to have to figure this out by doing it. So I just haven't trained them at all in the backyard, you know? So like you said, from the get go, they're loading markers elsewhere, but I've got to make sure their motivations are high enough and that they're social and, and all sorts of things. Jazz came over to where I train in the morning and the loop, like when I finished training in the loop that I sort of take my dogs on, it's about 1,800 meters, right? So like a bit over a mile for 
our mile. Mate, no wonder I was tired and we're walking up hills and all. Yeah. So we did <laughs> we did the loop with the blue collar one, whatever what's his name? Richard. Richard. So we did the, the loop with the blue collar and then we changed dogs and we do the loop again. And Roger tracked us the entire way. So he did the exact same loop <laughs> mm. and I'm at 1,800 metres and this is pre-teething. So they're like four months yep. old or something. He's nose to the ground and, you know, he's 10 metres out in front. And the reason we do it is because I like to walk dogs with my dogs who are super social because it's, it's an off-leash area, right? Like all kinds of dogs can be there. And I think young dogs especially sort of get that like, oh, there's another dog, right? Like, and they're like, well, how do I deal with this? And when they're with my two dogs, they're like, so what? Who cares? And it just, it's a good modeling for them to be like, they're part of that little pack that doesn't care about other dogs or might have like, you know, an off leash, like little social experience with the dog. Like, Hey, you're a dog. I'm a dog. Let's get on with our lives. Right. So I want to model that to them. Mm. So it's a great opportunity to do that. But the red collar one just tracked whatever he was tracking. It was either us or his brother or, you know, whatever from, but he walked ahead of us and knew the route the whole way and just nose to the ground and tracked us the whole way, 1,800 metres. and like, Passed a few dogs, didn't yeah, care. didn't acknowledge any of the shit. Like it was point, like we didn't achieve what we set out to achieve because the whole point, I mean, we sort of did, but the whole like point he was, was. He was aware of everything that was going on. Remember he looked at, was it the poodle, no, uh, poodle, cav, no, um, uh, I don't know, and they were drinking the water oh, and yeah. he sort of went past and was like, hmm. Yeah, that was pretty doing? much all yeah. he acknowledged. Okay. And followed walking. us perfectly. I guess the point that I wanted to make is that isn't it amazing watching a dog doing that when it wants to yeah, do it? Yeah. But the skill that I love watching in a very talented trainer is convincing the dog yeah. that you want to do it. Yeah, yeah. When you can transfer that, it, it's motivation and well, communication. Well, he didn't want to it's at the, the start. Thing. Yeah, but that's the thing, right? Yeah. Is that you convinced him that he did. You know, now and, I got to like but that, cap that, it. <laughs> but that comes from selecting the appropriate motivator and also communicating appropriately to the dog that, bro, you want to do this. And the dog going, oh, yeah, I do. Mm. Suddenly the dog becomes aware that it's not a rabbit I want to track. It's this new odor, you know, because this new odor is going to take me to the holy land. Mm. Uh, as soon as you can see that transference in a dog, like you know that you've done it. You know, like, you know, you've got it. I remember watching Alec Jones. I, I used to hate tracking in the mornings too. I'm a night person. I'm not a good morning person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you read books like Why We Sleep, those sort of books really alert you to why you have trouble in the mornings. And I fucking hated them. And Alec used to make me get out of bed at five o'clock and go tracking in shitty swamplands and shit like that. And I hated him for it, but I also love him for it. Mm. Like, I really appreciate what he made me go through. And the disciplines that he made me go through, because I was really angry with him at the time. But when I look back on it now, like you you were just saying with the camaraderie and everything, like we used to take our thermos of soup or coffee yeah. or whatever, and you'd be out there and I'd be fucking steaming up. But suddenly watching the dog work, I'd be angry about all that fucking prep work that you had to do, mm. for lit, which would literally be chewed up in 20 minutes and then you'd have to pack up and it'd be hours and hours of work. Yeah. And then you have to go to work all day yeah. and I'd be steaming up about it. But now I look at it and I'm thinking, that's some of the best fucking experiences I've ever had in my life. Yeah, for sure. I, I and I learned so much. I, I wasn't aware what was actually happening at the time. When I'm tracking in winter, I swear I wish I drank coffee. Like yeah, yeah. cat would rock up with his thermos and coffee and I'm just like, great, okay, awesome. I'm just freezing my tits off over here. Yeah. But, you know, I could always get a hot chocolate or something. But, you know, if I'm cutting weight for a tournament or whatever, more so with these pups than the last ones. But um, it was like no hot chocolate for me. But, <laughs> oh, man, it was brutal some mornings. Hey, like frosty ground and you're like, well, I can see the track. No worries because you mm. just broke the ice. Mm. But um, Yeah, I saw your Insta yeah. stories of, of you doing it and I just it, it gave me flashbacks and some of them weren't pleasant. But. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was, it was good. Like I enjoy – 
I enjoy doing it. I've got my sort of process, so to speak, you know, like I'll get the dog, uh, I'll walk the track and I'll get the dog out. They, they toil it and they'll do the track. And then, you know, on the way back we play or I let them be free, you know, things like that and put them away. They have a rest. I repeat with the next dog. Then we get them out a second time. And that's where we either at this stage of training, like they're six months old now, or maybe almost seven, but we then like play or let them be free and explore, do a, a chill out session. Later, that second session will be like obedience and, and those sort of things. And then there might be a third session where they're relaxing and all that. But it's like, I enjoy the process. Like I enjoy the time, you know, it might take up half the day. And then I, I go back and I'll, I'll look at the footage or look at that another day and things like that, or handle my actual business admin and, and client work and stuff. But it's interesting at the start where it happens so quickly and you're just like, why did I get up at 5am to do like a 30 second, 10 meter track? Oh my gosh. (laughs) But then that's where I add more of the play. So it's like the work part, very, very small because that's just the level that they're at. It's not about having only short intense sessions. It's, it's just, that's just where they were at later. It's much, much longer, but I still fill up plenty of time by giving them, you know, play free time, chill out time, but not in a kennel and, and those sort of things. So that's where all the lifestyle come, uh, lifestyle training comes into it. And even though they're 10 weeks old and, and tracking just a little bit, yeah, it still takes hours out of your day. But, yeah, I enjoy it. But sometimes you're just like, oh, really, bro? Like, can't we just do this later in the day? But then there's reasons well, why the you do it. Is, as they grow older, you can. Yeah. Right? As they get more proficient, you're like, okay. Now. And I, I said that to you, one of my motivations, yeah. right? One of my motivations was getting them to be able to track and distinguish between the scent and ignore competing motivators earlier than I did for the last ones is simply so I had the option to do it later in the day. I can mm. get up early if I want and do whatever I want, but I don't have to get up early and uh, and take them tracking. Instead, Roger will be there pretty soon where he, I can just take him out in the middle of the day and he'll track around some block while people are walking around to work and cross tracks and all of that. So, you know, uh, Richard will be a little bit behind him. He's just slower to develop in a lot of ways, but that was the same with the other boys. One was slower and, and he came good and everything, but it's one of my motivations just to like not have to get up mm. super early, especially because I got these dogs in winter. It'll be better now it's in summer, but by the time it's summer, they're going to be able to track in the middle of the day and I won't be able to. Yeah, and I got to gotta get up in the <laughs> yeah. morning. I was like, man, this yeah. did not work out for these dogs. Yeah. I think the only time where I discovered that you had to sort of be early was intense heat. That was only the real time that I found that you had to get up really early in the morning and just get it. Like even when we went over to the UAE, you had to be up because, I mean, it was 50 degrees by middle of the day. We were going out in desert areas and so forth. And I was over there for six weeks with them. And that was quite a um, phenomenal experience to go over and watch dogs still being able to track through desert sand and, you know, like utilizing the small amount of fauna that was around and so forth. And it was, it was amazing. It was really, it was a privilege to be in that position to be mm. able to watch that happen in a different climate. Intense heat destroys odor very quickly anyway. So mm. those sort of things are unlikely to benefit the dog. But it's it, like when, um, when we were, uh, when there were the floods and like just rain nonstop with the, with the last boys, I was like, well, great. I just walked my track and now, and it's hard surface and now it's just started raining. And I was like, oh, well, shit. Well, mm, let's do it. I'll take into account. You may really struggle with this. You may not succeed. My plan was to reward the effort for continuing to look for Mm. the scent and, and really try to find it. Don't care if you got it. I will reward you for trying because like that's, that's got its own benefits, right? Not ideal for what I actually wanted in that moment at that time of training. 
Turns out, no, Frank's just like, nah, I got this, bro. And I was like, yeah. I thought maybe I'm wrong, but I thought the rain and the hard surface and that was kind of, you know, basically going to wash away the sand. Okay, maybe maybe I'm just underestimating you. Maybe I misunderstood tracking and sand, but I was like, ah, screw it. You're doing it. Okay, off we go. I wish I had my GoPro. <laughs> like, yeah. All faction is largely uh, understood because we can't, really fathom the intensity of how a yeah, dog can yeah. detect. Yeah. And that's where we, we – kind of fascinates me, hey? It, it is. And that's where we lose correlation to it because we can think, you know, like the ability of us to think and our expansive knowledge in cognition is comparable to their olfaction. Mm. But we don't consider that because we can't do it. We know that they're exceptional at it, but we just don't know how exceptional they are at mm. it because yeah. we can't actually draw down to that fucking level. Speaking of your GoPro, because I want to talk about some other stuff, so we should finish talking about these guys. Tell us about your highlight of Razor. <laughs> I was just, I was thinking of a way. I was about to say it, but I lost my my track. No, where that's I was my like, segue. one of the one of the benefits of you know getting up real early in the morning and not having people around is you, you don't have anyone interfering or asking questions about your training. Now. <laughs> like I go to a, I go to a number of local parks. Like I, I take them around to many different places, but obviously over the 12 to 18 months, I, I frequent very similar ones. So those people tend to know me. They know my name. They know the dogs. They've even told other people, oh, just like make sure your dog like steers clear. Like they're friendly dogs and stuff, but like they're working and like, oh, and they start talking me up and it's hilarious. Right. But then Pat and I went out, we did a track in, I don't know, some suburb out sort of towards the city. They'd never done that sort of thing before. It was, it was where like, we first started like proper built up urban area yeah, or hard Urban, surface. that's the word. Yeah. yeah, right. So they're going along so footpath, roads, yeah. across driveways, over grass fields, a bit of everything, right? Anyway, then we, we finished off with a bit of a bite work session and we're just doing the strap. Like we're nothing, still just on the strap. Nothing crazy. We're not in decoy suits, like bite suits. We're not even using a wedge or anything like just basically playing tug with the dog and I'm, I'm holding the, the leash behind the dog and Pat's being the decoy holding this leather strap and we're on the footpath. We're not in anyone's way or anything, but further down the footpath, there's these guys like doing concreting and fixing the footpath further down. And this guy yells out, now this dog's doing great. He's holding on and we're like, sweet, man, this is exciting. Yeah, finally we're like, ready to come off the we're strap. We're ready. Like, <laughs> let's do this. We're, we're almost at the end and he's holding on no matter what Pat's giving him and everything. Like, it was great. And this guy just yells out, hey, hey, uh, just give him a treat. You should give him a treat. That'll that'll make him let go. And Pat and I were like, "What is he talking to us?" Yeah, yeah. Just just give him a treat. He'll uh, he'll let go. You know, you just offer like this, and we're just like, "Oh God, how do we respond? And how do we not laugh right now?" Keep doing the session, and Pat's like, uh, "Yeah, yeah. Thanks, mate. Uh, we, we got it. It's all good." And we just kept going and we're just like, oh, bro, just keep your shit together. Like <laughs> we're meant to be putting pressure on this dog. Don't laugh. Just straight face it. And we just kept going. And this guy just kept insisting. And he's like, no, no, just give him a treat. Like, you know, you offer him the treat and then he'll let go. It'll be fine. And we're like, mate, mate, we're trying to get him to hold on. Like we don't <laughs> want him to let go. Like we're doing a particular thing. And we're trying to tell this guy because now it's just it's just bothering us. It's just kind of annoying, but it's kind of interrupting our uh, the flow you, of our session. You should have gone over and taught him how to do some concrete. Right. It was, oh, so, mate. it was so funny though because he was so well-meaning. And yeah. if you had no idea what you're seeing, all you're seeing is some We're trying chick to wrestle a dog. like grabbing the dog by the collar because she's doing like partial liftoffs yeah. and the whole lot. And I've got the strap and I'm trying to oh, yeah, that. Yeah, he's holding yeah. it like perfectly in the back teeth and I'm trying to pull it out either side. Like he's doing great. It was the, probably the last strap session, right? I was like, yeah. oh, it's done. He's got it, right? And this poor bloke is, just thinks we can't get the toy back off the dog. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and we got the whole thing on camera. Yeah. The whole thing's on oh, camera. Really? Yeah, 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 we got, got the whole it. thing. Because Jazz was filming on the GoPro, so it's not like amazing footage. And you haven't yet. put that as a... Oh, mate, I, like... That, that, that's a I riddle for sure. Up, yeah. Just give him a treat. Like, he, <laughs> yeah. just, he was just baffled by, like, why can't you just give him a treat? <laughs> okay, so we can expect to see that as a real But, man. like, what, what Glenn said is, like, man, we should have just gone over, hey, man, no, no, just smooth Before it out. Just, just smooth that so concrete. Good. But I think it's a classic example of, like, the dude was so well-meaning. Oh, and, 100%. And if, I'm sure plenty of people are in that position and can't yeah. really can't get the things. Well, back it's like when them. I let the dogs run around with garbage in them out. Like, to say they're they're running, they found a bottle out on like a, a plastic bottle out on some field, you know, yeah, yeah. after a footy game or something. There's often those around, and the dogs will like pick it up and then they'll run around going, "Hey, look what I got! Are you going to try and take it?" And they're like they they're playing that little game, and I was like. Oh, oh, like when they're real little, I'm like, oh, let me get the thing. Oh, I touched it. Oh, you ran off with yeah, it. Like, yeah. but now they're holding it. They're not crunching it, right? They've got that nice steady grip. And I'm like chasing them around. And I'm like, oh, like I'm full acting. And I'm like, oh, come back, come back. And they're running away. And people are like, here, I'll help you catch it. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, God, how do I tell you politely and real quickly? No, please stop. Yeah. Don't, don't help me. Don't no, no, undo it's cool. All like, the work I'm doing. I'm like, I'm bringing this dog up. This dog thinks it's on top of the world, has a nice stable grip with this bottle. Like, cause it's, I can't hear it crunch and everything. Oh, man, it's good. But then people, yeah, they don't understand, but they're, they're so well meaning. But, yeah, it's just, it's hard sometimes in the moment to quickly explain it. Or what I'd sometimes do is like, no, no, I'm doing a real specific thing. It's fine. If you've got a sec, I'll explain it in a minute. I just need to finish. And some people do wait and they're like, what do you want about? And they're like, then they're curious and they, they sort of wait around mm. to wait until I explain mm. it. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I kind of wish they didn't wait. I'm in a bit of a hurry, but that's okay. But other people are just like, oh, okay, whatever, no worries. And they just walk off. I don't really experience many people that cause problems or anything, but generally just well-meaning people. But it's, yeah, it's just a misunderstanding, which is, which is fine. Like I've probably done that to people too. Like, here, let me help you with this. Oh no, I'm like, I don't need your help. I'm doing something else. No, no, I've, I will help you with this. And they're like, oh, this bitch doesn't know what she's like. I'm doing something <laughs> else. Man, I was at the park the other day. This guy clearly did need my help. He was an elderly man. I got his whole story. I gave him the time of day because clearly he was lonely. But his son kicked him out of the house while he was getting an inspection, right, because he's not meant to be living there. Anyway, he was walking up this grass hill and it was all muddy and I saw him. I was walking over. I was about to give Roger, Roger. free time. And as I was walking over, I started walking quicker because I could see this guy walking up the hill and he's got a walking stick as well up this grass muddy hill. In, um, it had previously been raining and I was like, oh, God, walk quicker, tied Roger to the pole and straight away started walking over and on the way he slipped. And I was like, oh, man, I didn't get there in time, but that's fine. I helped him up. Clearly he needed the help. I then went back and I'm like, oh, okay, like sit here, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like where are you trying to get to? Can I help you? And he was like, no, no, I just have to sit here for the next 90 minutes while my, my son gets an inspection. I was like, mate, it is freezing cold and it's raining. Luckily there's a shelter thing there. Anyway, that's fine. So I sat with him and I just let Roger run around and do whatever. But I checked. I was like, are you okay with dogs? He's going to come up at one point, hold his ball, and he's going to look at you. And he's probably going to boop you with his nose, like somewhere on your body. And then he doesn't care anymore. He's just going to be like, hmm and walk away. And he's like, okay, no worries. And then he, you know, he invited him up to jump on him and, and have a pat. And then I was like, yeah, you didn't realize he was quite intense. No worries. I told him to get off. And then he was just kept wandering around, run around like the guy's invisible. He just was walking past him, drops his ball, goes and sniffs other stuff, lays in the, in the puddle and comes back. And it was really nice to see like how social they are and how little they cared about that guy mm. or he cared. The other one didn't get to experience it because he left by the time I got the second one out. But uh, it's just one of those things. I don't know how I got onto it, but how things just happen. We're training out in the real world and they, they need to be social. They need to be a, a good pet, so to speak. 
but that's that's one of the things I don't want them getting attention. Uh, sorry, seeking attention from other people. Know that they're there, but just find everything neutral. Yeah, you know? and then, I, and then, I love that about a dog in yeah. general. I should yeah. put that friendly, video up. friendly I do dog have that. that's happy to just walk off and do its thing. But then, from a working standpoint, like the trick is still being able to point them with intensity at someone. Yep. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's the tricky part. Oh, yeah. So like yeah. everything's neutral until I say it's not. Right? Yeah, and that's, exactly. That's the tricky part. And one of the things that I do then to help, even though it's like it's it's different because I'm not pointing them to a person. So they're neutral to this person. But then at times I would then go, "Hey, let's play." I switch on that window for play. I then like you know play with a ball toss that off to the side, drag them back, let them try to pull forward to it, like fight for it, have that frustration build up, go to it, no worries. Like we bring up that drive and then I go, hey, you're free again, but you, now you still have to make responsible decisions. So it's not the same as pointing them at a person because they're not at that point yet, but that's where I start some of that. Um, yeah, flicking initial, the switches. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. So they practice turning on and off, directing their drive to the thing that I say and not going and, you know, directing their drive to something else that is not desirable. It's mm. amazing when you actually see that in fulfilment, when a dog comprehends that totally and utterly. This one, Harley, that I'm pointing to that nobody else can see on the podcast, <laughs> he was absolutely fucking definitive on, like, if I told him to get someone, there was no question in his mind whatever he was doing, no matter how friendly he was with the person, he would literally switch into drive and he would start viscerating you immediately. Like it was phenomenal to see, especially for me, because he was my first real dog. Like mm. none of the other dogs, the other dogs are good at it. You know, even Gammon, the little roddy female up there, she was a little bomb. Like even today, none of them were as clear as what Harley was. Mm. But it's not to say that he's the only dog in the world that's done that because I've seen other people that have been able to achieve it as well where their dogs can be totally neutral or, or totally in a great headspace but immediately on command change yeah. behaviour. It's a talent from the training team as well, but it's a real talent of the dogs as yeah, well to be able to be that a, definitive. It's a little bit of a genetic gateway it is. as well. Yeah. Some dogs can't do that. Jazz, I feel like we could talk for hours. We do Always, right, in front of this microphone, but we've got to go train dogs. So give us the wrap up. You've been busy. You got those guys going. You're still training, still doing clients, obviously, still training other dogs. Yep. We just got back from the ICP conference where you gave a very successful presentation that was well received. I enjoyed it a lot and it was on this kind of stuff, right? It was about exactly what we we're just talking about then, Glenn, mm. that creating windows of opportunity, right? And how to have those captured moments of intensity and 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 still have the dog livable and trainable and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Nailed it. I, I was, I was. I mean, you nailed your explanation, yeah, just, bro. <laughs> you know, there was a really good lineup of talented people there, but I was really disappointed not to come over and see you guys do your thing, bro. What a letdown! Oh. It was for me. It was like I'm I kidding, was. Man. Uh, yeah, you were missed. You missed. Yeah, sure. I, I missed you guys. Like it was hard to watch the reels happening yeah, of that. Yeah. I told you already. I got massive FOMO. Yeah. It. That's why uh, I didn't really reach out to you. I know. I know. I, know. I just let you guys. I, I didn't want to keep hounding you guys and say what's going on. What's going on? I just thought I'll, I'm having have, the best time. I know. Yeah. I know. I didn't want to hear about it. <laughs> I couldn't go anyway. I mean, I had work on here but, and there were other factors around it, but it fucking hell, it was disappointing. Yeah, yeah. next but year. It was yeah, good. For, we, for sure. Yeah, it was good. We did a lot of um, networking. I'm really happy, obviously, with my presentation. Like I'm happy with I did what I set out to do in that presentation. That's the first time doing it in that format. Uh, I've done seminars of my own before, but that's like a two-day sort of two or three-day kind of event where I can completely control the structure and the timings, whereas this was a set like 90-minute window, window of opportunity to to present a particular topic. So 
it was very different for me and I'm then really happy as well that I got a lot of good feedback. You know, people have said it to me, but people have also said it to other people about the presentation. But one of the good things is that a number of people outside of that presentation but through that week were were asking about what I do and asking about seminars and things like that. So I just wanted to let people know because I didn't really talk about it publicly just to the people who asked, I guess. I just didn't think of it at the time, but I offer seminars internationally and in Australia. So if people want to talk to me about that, shoot me an email at primecanine-training at gmail.com. We can figure that out. I've got a couple of people in Canada looking for seminars, you know, some in Florida, one in Florida, one in Utah. So if you're looking to host one, you've just got to touch base with me and we can figure all of that out. So I might be getting a couple coming up as well in Australia. So stay tuned for those. Speaking of ones in Australia, details will be released soon, but I'll be bringing J-Jack out again at the start of next year. So stay tuned on Prime Canine sort of social media, maybe on the Canine Paradigm as well. Um, might get them to share it there. And you'll find out some more details like the dates and locations and things like that. Basically, if you want to get training, I do online consults as well. So anyone around the world can do those. But in-person consults at the moment, mostly sport and working dog owners or other dog trainers who are looking to focus on certain skills or learn particular things that I kind of focus on. So that's just a shameless plug. For what a well-rehearsed plug speech. <laughs> <laughs> I literally had in my head a list of things, like I've, I've got a list of things that I had written down anyway, but that list is like, okay, I have to mention this and that, and I'm visualizing this list in my head because last time I couldn't even name my website. I was like, uh, I don't remember. No, it's time now. Uh, like yeah. I'm about to do the same, about to sort of reopen the books because I think travel, like they've called COVID off in Australia. Um, yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, oh, okay, we've had it off now. Is it? It's as of the 14th or something. It's Yeah, over. you don't even have to wear masks on flights anymore. Like yeah, when Narelle and I went to Brisbane the other day, we had to wear them there and not on the way home. Oh, mate, yeah. could you imagine if I had to wear a mask on those planes? Man, I almost had a meltdown on the way back anyway, just Get not getting my seat. Go. So like jazz. <laughs> Boy, hey, this so, is not as bad as it used to be. I'll tell another story in a second. We're, we're getting ready to board the flight. It ended up being not an A380, but I have this issue with the A380, right? Like I think it's the worst <laughs> aircraft ever built. Right. I hate it. It is a terrible aircraft. They've stopped making it. Airbus lost money on it. It's a yep. piece of shit. It yep. is a piece of shit of a plane. I hate everything about it. And the main reason I have with it, the main problem I have with it is when the A380 first came into uh, use, I was in the tag and we hold the responsibility for aircraft assaults, right? So yep. if there's ever tag a terrorist- tactical assault, yeah, the tactical group. assault group. So if there's ever a terrorist incident on an aircraft, we're the ones that take care of it. We had to learn the aircraft. So like the one one who's like the main planner in the tag knows airplanes inside out, back to front, upside down. And when there's a new one, they have to go and sort of figure it all out. And we have to figure out if we're going to evacuate, how we do that, whatever. And mate, it takes a long time to get people off A380, let me tell you that. And really? as, as we're evacuating it- I was standing there looking at my clock going, holy fuck, this is too long. So I've always just had, I just hate the A380. I hate everything about it. So for that reason? <laughs> just like, for many it, reasons. Is it comfortable to fly in? No, it? it's a piece nope. of shit. Okay. It, it's oh. comfortable if you're in anything other than economy, yep. right? So, <laughs> so for that trip... I got premium economy, right? Like, not that I'm a baller, but I was just like, I can't, <laughs> I can't handle it, right? Because we I also know. had the longest trip, like, yeah, what was it Dallas Fort yeah, Worth to Dallas Sydney. to Sydney, which is the longest flight was in the it world. Seventeen hours. Right? Oh wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the longest flight in the world. Yeah, yeah. put me on um, one of those. Great. They tried that uh, New York to Sydney, and people nearly killed themselves. So they were like, okay, now we just stick Dallas to Sydney. That's as far as you can go. Yeah. So anyway, I like paid the money. I was like, fuck it, um, I'm going premium economy. 
as we're boarding the flight, Jazz realizes she's not in the window seat that she which she I was paid in. for. Yeah. I paid for a window seat, and I will always pay for one if I have the opportunity to. And I did. I paid it for my flight, the main flight over, the main flight back. And right as we're getting on, I was. He said, "No, I don't. I don't think that letter." Yeah, is just like the, a Wind J. I was like, "That's oh, not a Jazz. That's not that, a window like, seat." Right? Like I know aircraft layouts. I was like, "That's not a window." So seat. I went and asked, and she was like, "No, no, you're here." And I was like. I'll pay for another one. Find me a new seat. No, we're full. No, I don't think you understand. You need to find me a new seat. This is non-negotiable. <laughs> so there was some there was some excitement. We were nearly the last people to board, right? So I'm like hanging out with Jazz. I'm like, it's going to be okay. Don't I'm, worry. I'm like, having my gonna... meltdown over in the corner. Yeah. And I'm just like, okay, okay, breathe. It's all right. I got this. So I say to her, as we're walking past my fancy seat, <laughs> I say, if there's a problem, I'll swap with you. I'm happy to swap. And then there was some other issue. Someone else was delayed or something. So, like, I got up and I went back and the people would swap through that. She was sitting in the window. And, and there was their idea, right? They yes. were separated. Yeah, so, so was, they were together. One was in the aisle and one was on the window. And they, they wanted to be together because they were flying together. And they, as I walked up, you could sort of see, like, they weren't quite sitting in their seats, like, comfy and I'm set or whatever. Like, I could see them kept looking up at every person who was making eye contact with that area. And I was like what is wrong with these people? Are they, is something wrong here? Or are they looking to change seats? And I was like, oh, this could be in my favor. As soon as I walked up, they're like, oh, hi. So we're together. And I just said window. <laughs> All I, I didn't even let them finish their right. offer. I just said window. That was it. And they were like, oh, great. No worries. I was like, hurry up, window. Funny plane story while we're talking about these issues. When you're in Australia, you don't see much fuckery going on with people. Yeah. When you're in the United States, there is literally fuckery people every- wherever they want. Well, it's just the way they talk to each other too. Like Boarding people- play. It's very different. Ma'am, ma'am, ma'am. I was lucky to get words out. Sir, yelling at each other down the aisle. It is crazy. <laughs> but, so, but so I walk down the aisle to go check on her because I'm like, I need to go make sure she's all right because we're delayed anyway. And I get down there, she's sitting next to the window and then tells me that they offered the window. And I said, I said to the time, I said, I can't even fucking tell you how mad I would have been <laughs> if I gave you my, my premium seat. <laughs> And then, and then when I got here, they asked me if I could sit in the window. Oh. I was like, I can't even fucking tell you how, how mad that would have made me. Yep. But first of all, I would never have taken you up on the opportunity to take your yeah, seat. I, know. I would have dealt with it. And secondly, if they had have done that and you had swapped later because they offered later, I would have expected you to tell me. And then make me move yeah, back. I would have been using I would the have seat pissed. chat. I would have, get back here. Yeah, yeah. I, would have been, I would have been so furious with you if you had have stayed in that window seat and let me be in a uh, premium economy when I didn't need to be. Like, I would have been furious if I found that out when yeah, I got back. Well, like, you know. All's well that ends well. It's but, all fine. Hey, man, like, I have passed out on a plane from basically panic, but it was like, then when I woke up, all hell broke loose. Like I was, I was just on a on a murder trip. Like, and I was like, "You'll need to get away from me." Was that and the first time to- you went to Florida? Was that the? I don't, I don't remember. I think it might have been. No, it was when he came back second. with the COVID. It, yeah, it was on. It was on the. When he had to rush back. Yeah, it was on a return flight. I don't. Yeah, because yeah, I picked that. you up from the airport. It was when you. Yeah, was, right. It, oh, mate, that oh, was the time right. yeah, passed yeah, out, yeah, escorted, yeah, yeah. escorted off the plane all through the airport. They didn't want to let me on another plane. And then I was just very polite and was like, well, okay, if you think I'm a problem now and that's why you don't want to let me on a plane, consider <laughs> how I'm going to be when you tell me I can't get home. Then, then how do you think I'm going to be? Do you still want to deny me access to this next plane trip? Oh, no, ma'am. 
We'll walk you there now. That's you can right. get on first or last, whatever you like. We'll cater to you. That's a good plan. Thank you, sir. Yeah, that was when you had to come home early when COVID first happened. When you, yeah. were, you were set up to that seminar in May and it got canned because of COVID study and you yeah. had to come back. And I had to pick you up from the airport. That's I right. To, like, I contacted multiple people who always said, like, just call me if you need anything. And I'm like, I'm on the phone, like, um, using the Wi-Fi. I'm like, I need, I need a lift home. I, I, I just cannot tolerate being on a train. Like, long story. Uh, Glenn, you were doing something. Alice was doing mm. something. A bunch of people I messaged. I was like, oh my god, Pat, you haven't replied yet. Please read this before I land. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I got this. And I was like, oh, I can breathe. <laughs> I sprayed it down with Glenn 20. Yeah. <laughs> this is what we thought COVID would kill you. It was new, you know, like yeah. no one knew. I was like, bitch, you got to spray you down. You've been in the, you've been in America. Oh man. I kept spraying you intermittently as we were driving. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, uh, yeah, it was interesting. So I have good reason to be a bit stressed around planes, but yeah. I, I'm definitely not where I used to be. Yeah. I All think right. That was it. We got to go train dogs. Jazz. I love you. You're an important person to me. I'm very happy to have you here. You've done an amazing job. Congratulations. Yep. Thank you, Pat. I don't think I could say it better. That's it for another episode of Canon Paradigm. What was your email again before people? Primecaninetraining at gmail.com. And please be patient because I don't check them every day and I have a lot built up. And that's canine is C-A-N-I-N-E. Correct. Yep. All right. And so you're starting up traveling again, ready to teach people what you know. Yep. Getting around the place. Take her up on it. All right, that's it for another episode of Counter Paradigm. As always, if you like what you hear, please like, rate, share, subscribe. Do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is jump into Patreon. I've put a bunch of stuff into Patreon lately. I have a bunch of footage. I have a bunch of stuff, and I surprisingly had time to do some editing, so a bunch of stuff went in there. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Please let me know what you think of it. Then and we just got a mammoth tax bill too. So we did. if you can help us out with yeah. spreading the Patreon love to other people around the world, that would be wonderful because, yeah, we just got bombarded yeah. by massive Turns tax. Turns out we should have been paying tax for the last three years and we haven't been. Uh, so, yeah, the Australian government is really cracking down on yeah. all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, we've got uh, – So we're broke again. Yeah, we're broke <laughs> again. Yep. <laughs> well, while you're talking about sharing the love, if anyone's interested in any of the gear that I use, uh, whether it's the clothing or the, <laughs> the dog training gear, I – I really like the workwear gear that's called Green Hip Workwear Women's Gear. So where, oh, it's like I have a code. Stuff, it's twenty percent discount. Prime Canine. That's that code. And then Ironswork as well. So if you type in for any Ironswork, oh fuck the Ironswork. Yeah. That's Prime yeah. Canine ten, full, pay, and you get a ten percent discount. Pay full Screw price you, at the Ironswork. Pay full price. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buy our t-shirts. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't buy any of this Green Hip stuff. Buy, buy our t-shirts. Unless you're a woman and you wear workwear, then buy it. Right. Um, <laughs> Get both. Get both. I liked how you changed tempo on that. That was so cool. Oh, and if anyone wants oh, to. No, uh, I think it's really good. that yeah. I think it's it, it's actually really cool that like a workwear brand has realized that dog trainers wear that shit and that there's. And that's got to fit women's bodies yeah, as well. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I, think yeah, it's really I genuinely cool. really like it. Considering um, that the market is mostly women in dog training, that's yeah. a smart move. And there is no dick bump on these women's pants. It is amazing. I'm going to make a reel of it one day when I decide I want my crutch out on a reel. But anyway, so it's like uh, they're really <laughs> yeah. good. But uh, also, yeah. while we're at it, you know, if anyone wants to sponsor me as an athlete so I can keep competing in jiu-jitsu, all right, by all, all, right, means. all right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> all right if you want to get in contact joke. with us, jump into the discussion uh, group. Otherwise, shoot us an email. We are info at thecanonparadigm.com. Goodbye. That's strange, dogs. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>